0: Hello, and welcome back to the North Georgia Blue Podcast, produced and distributed by the Fannin County, Georgia Democratic Party. I'm your host, Meryl Clark, and we're getting into some good trouble today with our special guest. Quentin T. Howell, first vice chair of the Democratic Party of Georgia's African-American Caucus and first African-American chair of the Baldwin County, Georgia Democratic Committee. Welcome, Quentin T. We're so excited to have you on today.
1: It's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me.
0: Wonderful. Well, let's let our listeners know a little bit about you. And there's so much more that I'll ask you to fill in. Quentin T. Howell is a native of Baldwin County, Georgia. He and his wife run a small business which he started in college after transitioning from the Naval Reserve Officer Training Corps. Thank you for your service, by the way. He is a successful entrepreneur talk show host, and political operative as a Democratic National Committee delegate where he was elected whip of the Georgia delegation and the first vice chair of the Democratic Party of Georgia's African-American caucus. He also helped spearhead the rural Georgia initiative of community leaders, working closely with former President Obama. He has worked with students in at-risk schools through mentoring programs and grassroots advocacy and is actively involved with his church. Additionally, he was appointed to the Milledgeville-Baldwin County Development Authority in 2015 and still holds that position as well. He also sits on a variety of political, civic, and community-based boards focused on creating jobs throughout the middle and South Georgia regions. Oh my, you're a busy fella. Tell us all the other things (laughs) that you also do that I couldn't fit into my
1: bio. Well, you know, we have a running sack tire that says I do all the free stuff. Uh, <laughs> <and> <laughs> right. I serve as the chairman of the 100 Black Men, which is a nationally mentoring organization for the Millersville and area that cover. Uh, The large back part of the middle Georgia area. In addition to that, I serve as the vice chairman of our local Southern Christian Leadership Conference, SCLC for short, which is the group that Dr. Martin King started for Baldwin County. I serve as the public relations coordinator for the SCLC for Washington County, as well as the NWACP for Washington County. I'm the former past vice president for the NAACP here in uh, Baldwin County. In addition to that, I serve as the vice chair of the Central Georgia Democratic Coalition, as well as the vice chair of the Georgia Association of Democratic Chairs. And I have been elected now ever since 2010 to be a delegate to every national democratic convention, as well as state democratic convention here in the state of Georgia and here in America representing President Obama, presidential hopeful Hillary Clinton, as well as current President Joe Biden. Wow, that's quite a
0: bit. So you have no spare time, correct?
1: (laughs) You are always,
0: always working, volunteering, contributing to the democratic cause and our goals and ideals, and I thank you for that, sir.
1: Well, it's my pleasure. Me and my wife, we own a company called Howell's medical equipment and supplies. Well, I serve as a is I specialize in feet. And I couldn't do all this without her for help. I always tell people she's uh, keeping chicken on the table while I'm out here trying to change the world. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> how was medical equipment and supply uh, is what you referred to as the business I started when I was in college after I got out of the Navy, and it's located here in Baldwin County, where we service all kind of medical equipment and supplies, wheelchairs, walkers, canes, and we specialize in diabetics. I'm sure she wished I have a little bit more time for the office.
0: I'm sure. I'm sure. So let's talk about your political involvement with the Democratic Party of Georgia or DPG. How did the African American Caucus come about? and how did you become involved and what do you do as first vice chair and what is the group's mission
1: and goals the african-american caucus it's a little interesting to answer that because my answer will probably be different because i come from a different geographical aspect of the state the african-american caucus is a more heavily more present uh, entity in the atlanta area up in the northern part of georgia where in the middle georgia as well as southern georgia we don't have a large presence Of the caucus. That is, of course, starting to change. One by me being elected vice chair, being from central Georgia, and also one of the other vice chairs being from Chatham County. So I'm looking forward to seeing our direction become even more inclusive geographically, which would be new because that's certain parts of the state that probably isn't as familiar with the caucus as others in the Atlanta area. The mission of all of our caucuses upon the DPG is always simple. And that's to get Democrats elected, Mm -hmm. period, bar none. I look at the African-American caucus as concentrating on African-Americans and getting them to the polls and getting them, one, to the polls to be educated, to vote, and also supporting strong Democratic candidates that relate to and also want to address issues that concern the African-American community.
0: Fantastic. Well, you're certainly well qualified in that area. So (laughs)
1: let's
0: talk about your work with the Baldwin County
1: Democratic Committee.
0: How long have you been the chair of that committee?
1: You're going to laugh. I've been there now long enough to stop counting. And if I had to count, uh, it's it's longer than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Next door to us is Caltman County, Eatonson, Georgia. And a lot of people don't know this, but Dr. King's family came out of Eatonson, Georgia. And his cousin, who is a fellow chairman, Mr. Fred Ward, former county commissioner, Fred Ward, he always tells the story of how we had white flight out of the Democratic Party. And that was when several of us became Democratic chairs. And that was probably around 06, 08, right in there. And you had several of the counties here in middle Georgia and rural Georgia first get the first African-American chair. 08, you had President Obama get elected. So you had kind of like a white exodus mm. from the local committee. And he will always say that unfortunately white generation was taught to be respectful to president, but not always a black like, man. And by having Obama in office, it caused it strain and it caused the issues. And so we saw a changing of our democratic committees throughout Georgia. And I think some of that changing is still there. But I'm loving to see like you have an ebb in the flow. I'm loving to see now that flow coming back because this past January. We saw what we can do, and we, being democratic-minded uh, party individuals, what we can do when we come together and work hard, we can get uh, US elected, uh, a U.S. senator, Reverend not elected, a U.S. senator also elected, and we can also get rid of a Trump and get in a Biden. Absolutely, and thank you for that.
0: So let's talk about your time as whip of the Georgia delegation to the DNC. Tell us how and why you got involved and your penchant for leadership, which obviously just comes naturally to you. And tell us more about the Rural Georgia Initiative. How does that work and what are its main tenets?
1: Well, it was interesting because when I first became a delegate to the uh, Democratic National Convention, that was in 08. Mm -hmm. And me and my wife went to the caucus, not really knowing too much about it. And we just said, man, eh, we're going to try. And I ended up getting elected and I didn't know what to expect. You know, honestly, I didn't know. And it was an experience I would never, ever, ever forget. And I suggest it to anyone. It's not an inexpensive experience. I'll tell you that, but it's a wonderful experience. And I made connections and. Friend, me and Jason Carter met there and I was texting him back and forth on the phone Sunday. He was on the Georgia game. And but we met before he ever became Senator Carter. You know, he was a delegate just like I was, riding the back seat of a cab trying to figure out way out in Colorado to get to the next event. <laughs> <laughs> right. It was an awesome, awesome experience. And from there, we became delegates to the state convention, then to the next Democratic National Convention and so forth and so on, all the way up to 2020. And when I served as the WILP, for Hillary Clinton in 2016, I was appointed to that position. Representative Calvin Smiler who I think is getting a uh, appointment now to ambassador, mm. he made the choice, if I'm not mistaken, who the WILP would be. And I was one of the few WILPs that wasn't in Atlanta. And it was my pleasure to serve. We had a responsibility of making sure that our numbers And our vote count was in place. We had different delegates who was our charge in making sure that was done and done correctly. One thing people, I think, don't see when they watch the different conventions on television is all the education that goes on. The education is phenomenal. I don't know if Republicans do this or not, but with the Democratic Party, when you
0: do Republicans believe in
1: education. I have my doubts. My prayer is yes. Fair enough, but go ahead. But all during the day is not a party at all. It's workshops after workshops. You're going and you're learning about uh, housing, how it's affecting parts of uh, different Americans and underprivileged Americans. You're learning about different bills. You don't leave there not knowing tons more. And then also the motivational aspect of it with meeting the pillars of our party, as well as our community, who might not be in politics, but just might be community leaders or civil rights leaders, and getting that push to go out and to work harder and and, uh, continue to labor on the ground. So many of those positions you read off, they equal nothing more but H-A-R-D. Hard work on the ground. When I was on the national talk show earlier today, I explained to them that I'm a ground and pound politician. In other words, I am a door to door knocking, a voter registration absentee phenomenon at times because I rack up good numbers. I enjoy doing it. I have a God given talent, I think, for being able to knock on your door as a person you have never met before. And by the time I leave, 15 minutes later, I have not just registered to vote, but I also got an absentee ballot coming to you in the mail. You've been giving me everything from your name, your address, and the last four years of Social Security. You might not do it for the next guy, but you're going to do it for me. And I'm going to make sure when that ballot gets to your home, it gets filled out and you have any questions or issues, we're going to get them out and we're going to make sure it gets back in the mail. We have a mayor here in the city of Millsville, Mary Parham Copen. She's the first African-American mayor in the city of Millsville. And I don't know how familiar you are with Millsville or your listeners. But Millsville was the capital before Atlanta. Here in the center of Millsville is where they signed the Confederacy Papers to separate from the Union. I don't think 100 and, I don't know what, uh, 56, 58 years ago, they would have ever imagined having a black woman as mayor. But that young lady became mayor simply because we ground and pound from door to door. And after we added 200 new registered voters to the ballot, we went around and got them not just registered, but also to the polls or make sure they had their absentees and had gotten them into the mail. And she won by six votes. Wow. They came back, they took one away, so she won by five. Oh, my. No one knew her name. People acted like they didn't know her or had never met her before. She was just a nice lady who was a preacher in the community who wanted to do something good. And I think she's probably going to go down as one of our best and fairest and humblest mayors in history. And I'm so proud to have been her campaign manager. You know, I don't know if you know this or not, but I actually have a nickname from the state party. And what is that? They call me the Bulldog.
0: The Bulldog. Congratulations to the Georgia Bulldogs. And here you are.
1: But simply because I am a Bulldog out there on the field when it comes to getting people empowered. And that's what people, I think, misunderstand or don't quite get the concept. When you're registering people to vote, when you're in the process of getting people absentee, you're giving power back into the community, which a lot of times those aspects of the communities have been powerless or have felt very powerless or looked over. So many times people have never been asked what their opinion is, what they think about anything until I knock on that door and I want to know that opinion. I want to know what they think, but I don't just want to know it. I wanted to give them access to make sure it makes a difference. One of my oldest people, I registered to vote. She was like 84 years old and I thought it was going to be really difficult. I had mentally prepared myself when she told me she wasn't registered and how old she was to have a kind of a verbal wrestling match because I I was assuming I was going to have to do all of that. (laughs) Right. It was like cutting my mother's sweet potato pot. The lady registered so easily and so calmly. And I asked, I, I said, Well, ma'am, I got a question. She said, What is it, son? I said, Well, you're 84 years old. No disrespect. But you done seen everything. You done seen civil rights movement come and go, Dr. King come and go, you done seen the depression come and go. You done seen everything. Mm-hmm. Why have you never registered to vote? And she said, well, I do lived live either in the province or the poor community all my life. And nobody ever asked me. Oh, my. That's terrible. I was shocked. And she was a very small, frail lady. And that little small, frail lady voted every single election until she passed a few years ago. That was one time when she was so sick, she couldn't get out. She didn't get a chance to absentee. I was in my F-150 pickup truck. She said, baby, I'll go since you asked me. I can't get in that truck. You got a car I can get in? And I said, yes, ma'am, I get one. And we got a little car. And she got in that car, she went and voted. Fantastic. Yes, ma'am. You couldn't ask no more. It says a lot when we go out and involve our people. It is an empowerment thing. And lastly, on that part, I will also tell you this. It's also a ministry. One of my church members had hey, was out walking with me, cause I love to take a team out to get to the train to do this. And she said, I look at this as my ministry. And she was so right because you're not just registering people to vote, Sister Clark. You listen to people's concerns. You're praying with people, you're talking with people about their ups and their downs. I mean, you're learning a part of the community that you might have never ever thought about, a part of the community you might have never ever lived in. And Now, you know how those people not just live and think, you also know what their wants and desires are, and it's intoxicating to make you want to do better. So when we talk about the different accolades or different positions, when you get a taste of that type of a ministry, you involve yourself in as much as possible to continue that ministry. That's lovely. Thank you for sharing that. My pleasure. Can you also tell us a little bit
0: more about the NAACP and all the other groups that you're involved with? I hope that It's just staggering. Maybe not all, but, it, you know, if we could highlight the main ones, that would be great.
1: Yes, ma'am. Well, and you asked me earlier about the Democrat committee. one thing I give you that, which is a little different maybe here in Baldwin County than in some of the counties, we do something that's not always political. We do a lot of community involvement. We do a lot of community work. Food drives, clothing drives. My wife spearheads that tremendously. The clothing food drive in December. We just got through participating and partnering with several other organizations on pop-up vaccination days, and where we also gave away bags of food or bunches of collard greens during the New Year. And that's not political. Mm-hmm. That's not Republican or Democrat. That's just us putting out goodwill into our community. Hopefully, when voting time comes, those people will vote and will participate and also support the Democratic Party. Our goal is to put up a good candidate for them to look up to do that. But at the end of the day, we do that. We even work on, in our committee, having a help fund. We call it the pass the hat fund. And so we pass the hat and take up a few dollars every week. And we take those few dollars. So when weather is like it is now, it's cold and you have a senior citizen that needs $60 for a cut-on fee of the power that's been cut off or the gas that's been cut off. And you might have some entities that help her with the bill, but nobody pay that cut-off fee. Well, we do that as a Democrat.
0: Oh, my. That's, That's impressive. Thank you for that.
1: Well, we're very committed to that. And I think it's important. And the other organizations that I'm part of, the SCLC, the Southern Christian Leadership Conference, which Dr. King started 10 years before he passing. NWACP is also geared to working for social and community change and positivity and progressiveness. You know, here next door to Baldwin County, we have Sandersville, Georgia, Washington County. Most people are familiar with George Floyd, but they're not familiar with Yuri Martin. Georgia had our own version of George Floyd a year and a half earlier. A uh, gentleman was just walking down the road, minding his own business. He got really thirsty. He stopped at one of the CEOs of a large company here in the middle Georgia area and asked him for some water from his hole. told him to get, get the heck out of the yard. So he left. He called a cop. There's a black guy walking through our community and he doesn't belong here. Something along that line. Cops came, harassed him, and they tasered him to death beside the road. They electrocuted him beside the road. You can Google it. Yuri Martin. It's all over the news channel. 13 WMAZ news. You can even watch the footage on the dash count, and it's horrific. They just got through with the second trial that ended up in a mistrial. And one of the witnesses said the only attention they gave the guy when they walked by him and kicked him like a dead dog. I don't think people even kick dead dogs. We only had cell phone footage at one time, but now we have the clear footage. And at first, the cops got off, and the Supreme Court of Georgia overturned it, and they got a retrial, and the retrial had a mistrial to it found out one of the jurors was a cousin of one of the deputies. So now we're looking for that to occur again. Those are issues that some of these social justice groups were working on. It's stuff along those lines, and it's it deserved to be working on. You know, it's not something that's caught national attention and by any means, but it has caught regional attention and some statewide attention, but it needs more And there are so many more other cases that fall in that line. Some to not that extreme, but they are there. So these organizations I'm a part of, our mission is to continue the work of the people that came prior to us, the Dr. King's, the Malcolm X's, and also the local leaders we had, the uh, Beverly Calhoun's, the Richard Turner's, and so many others. You know, most people know the name Dr. Martin Luther King, but they forget every community at the local leaders. So the local leaders didn't get the type of fame that Dr. King got nor the attention, but they did the same work locally and worked along inside. And that's kind of like the Democratic Party. You have a national party, a state party, and then you have local Democratic committees. Where the Civil Rights Movement was very similar to that. You had national leadership, statewide leadership, and then you had leadership on a local level. And we tried our best to continue that good work. And I know some people don't understand the terminology good trouble, but I understand it very well. And we want to make sure that trouble turn into good. Well, we're lucky
0: to have you. And they're certainly lucky to have you down there in Baldwin County, Middle and South Georgia. So I also want to ask you, what first sparked your interest in politics? Why did you decide to become involved? And you're doing so much and the people in your community must be extremely grateful. I'm sure they are. What first sparked your interest in politics?
1: Well, it's always nice if people are grateful. I think some are, but you know, I always remind myself when Dr. King was killed, if I got my numbers right, 70% of the white community, 73, 74% of the white community didn't think he was relevant at the time, absolutely at all. 65, 67% of the black community didn't think he was relevant. You gotta think when he went back for that last final march, Dr. King was asked not to go. His wife begged him, "Don't go." The march prior to that, he had the first time when the march got out of hand, and you know, and windows got broken and stuff that never happened before. The man had walking pneumonia. But he wanted to go make it right. He went and met with so many people. If you look at old footage, there's people on camera saying, well, Dr. King didn't ask us to come up here. He didn't ask for our permission. We wouldn't think of that today, you know, but they were like, why are you coming up here? There was a lot of churches. He couldn't even go and preach. But I love how he handled it. He went and before he gave that speech about going to the mountainside, he went and met with everybody who thought there was somebody. I mean, if they thought there was somebody, he had cookies and soda pop in the lobby of the hotel <laughs> room, and he met with everyone, even prostitutes he met with. He met with everybody he could to try to get everybody on the same page. And, you know, I say that to say, I think of Dr. King. I said, if Dr. King didn't have everybody with him, I can't expect everybody to always be with me. You just do the good work in spite of. And if that's not a good example, you got to think of Jesus, shoot. All the people that was in the world then, could not find the 12. So, you know, it humbles me. We just continue to do the work. But you had asked me a question. I'm sorry.
0: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay. I, what was the actual question? Your knowledge of all of the civil rights movement and everything that's happened since is wonderful. Thank you for sharing, especially during Black History Month. So I asked you what first sparked your interest Oh
1: yes, yes, yes. in politics. Yes, ma'am. So thank you. Thank you very much. And so I just say all that to be able to say, you know, you might not get a million thank yous. You might not get a, a million handshakes, but you know, the one, two people that you helped or saved that appreciates you that look and give you a thumbs up or give you a hug that does the world for you and even if you don't get that knowing you just did the right thing to better another area is enough when i first got to college i actually was elected class president of course you were I'm like that mayor. I won by seven votes. And prior to that, I was elected uh, East District Director of the 4-H Club for the central part of the state of Georgia. And that was kind of my first taste of politics when I was in middle school. And I did kind of enjoy it. But when I got serious... The church that I attended in college, the name is Litway Missionary Baptist Church. The pastor is the Reverend Dr. Leonard Smalls, and I would suggest you have him on here sometime. If you think I'm great, you'll be blown away. And that church is adamant that God blesses you to bless other people. And the blessings you have are not yours to hold. They're yours to share. And there's no way you're going to be part of that church and not have a social conscience. It's an old school way of looking at your community. And I say old school way because you don't see that a lot. And remember earlier, I said how you had local leaders working in different areas. But Reverend Small is a local leader that worked in that whole southeastern part of Georgia. I went to school at Savannah State University, and the church was actually wasn't that far from the university. And being a part of that church, you almost automatically became part of the political aspect of that community, uh, the social justice aspect of that community, that pastor uh, stand and protest. I remember when Bill Clinton came to town. He protested Bill Clinton. I don't remember why. I was just like, you protesting Bill Clinton? <laughs> you know? But he's a firm believer. Right is right, and wrong is wrong. And be if a Democrat, Republican, white or black, if you stand up for right, he's going to support you. If you stand up for wrong, he's going to be a detractor of yours. And that church kind of put everything in perspective. And from being part of that, that was a great catapult. Into getting out. So, you know, having success in my business, then that me, I have to turn that success and give back. And I found I had an ability to give back in this area. I had a knack for it. And before I ever ran for office, it was something that I prayed about, that I fasted about, and I felt God had a call for me to run. And I didn't win, but I learned every campaign should be a blessing to the community which it is in. And there's not a campaign I have managed, and not a campaign I have had a hand in. hadn't been a blessing to the community, it was ran in. And I think that's important, if not even more important than winning the election at times.
0: That's great. And are you going to run again? And if so, what are you going to run for?
1: Well, I ran for the State House of Representatives here in District 145. I do agree with the former president. I think I got robbed of my vote. (laughs) (laughs) No doubt. One of the few things me and the former president agree with, from my understanding, is like two thousand. Absentee vote that wasn't counted, which was my election. I have yet to give a clear explanation of why they were. But anyway, that is the office that I ran for and the one that I feel I would be proficient in. If I run again, it probably would be that one. I've been getting asked and I'm very humbled to be asked as many times as I'm being asked per day, multiple times a day, and also to have the support of so many agencies and groups and unions that have asked. I do not have a plan to run now. I don't see that in my near future. I had a former state senator call me today to go over numbers with me to try to change my mind on that. <laughs> I'm sure. Yeah, we looked at the map a little bit closer and found out even the new map that's been drawn is not as bad as I thought it was. Even, But uh, Senator Ford Griffin, he's actually running for secretary of state now. It'd be lovely to have him on your show as well. He he made a comment years ago, and I think it's a true statement, and I think it explains why people who are in politics do some of the things they do. And his statement was, if you have a fire in the belly for this, that fire do not go out. There's no such a thing as that fire going out. And I have that fire, and I don't know if it's going to rekindle this year or not, i'm sure he's going to be
0: well i would love for you to announce your next candidacy on our show so let me know keep us posted
1: it would be my pleasure it would be my pleasure sister clark
0: i also want to ask you about your work with at-risk youth your work through social and educational justice issues, racial issues, obviously, and you're also focused on job creation. So tell us why job creation is also a key point of what you do for your community, why it matters, and let's talk about underserved populations and at-risk youth as well.
1: well. Job creation is important for one simple reason. Most people like eating three times a day. It's helpful, yes. Job creation does a few things. It lowers crime, It empowers people financially and socially to be independent. But job creation also has more than just having a job. Maybe the term needs to be changed to career creation because working at McDonald's is different than working a job that actually pays you a living wage and not a minimum wage. It's different than working a job that has benefits, that has insurance and other aspects that you need. And we as a uh, country, I think they're finally coming to a head. People are talking about the great resignation, and I looked at several people nationally talking about their understanding, their work. You know, in the state of Georgia, you can pay $2.13. Is your minimum wage if you're a waiter or a waitress or a bartender? That's ridiculous. The minimum wage is only five bucks and some change. And if people say, well, what's the difference in Democrats and Republicans? Well, Democrats want the minimum wage to be 12 bucks. 15 bucks. We want it to be a living wage, not a minimum wage. That makes a difference. People who work an eight-hour shift don't usually go out and rob people in the afternoons. But people don't want to go work eight and 12 hours just to scratch by. And I think that's a realization that people are coming to. It's one of my major platforms. You need to increase that. And that's a helpmate. And also, you asked about working with At Root Kids. As being the chairman of 100 Black Men, that's something that we work with all kids of all ethnic groups in all areas. I actually started doing that when I was in Savannah with my church, actually, uh, Litway Baptist Church. I was in the Navy and going to the church and we started a mentoring program at the local school. And then that expanded. And when I came back home with my business and got married, I wanted to continue that. And I joined 100 Black Men to continue working with that. And it's been a pleasure working with young men and women in our community. One of the blessings that have came through the pandemic is we have been able to actually service more kids. The National 100 have put multiple grants out where we have been blessed to receive monies that we're able to put back into the community and to reach out way further than our immediate area. We have kids throughout the state of Georgia that we mentor and work with through Zoom and other areas. So I look forward to continuing doing that.
0: Fantastic. And your community is a lucky one. That's all I can say. So <laughs> I
1: appreciate it.
0: So Since you are kicking off Black History Month for us, please share what is the significance of Black history? What does it mean to you personally and professionally? And what should we understand about our country's Black history
1: and why it matters to all of us? Black history is American history. And uh, we shouldn't ever whitewash our history, but we shouldn't ever also curtail or suppress our history as well. One of the things that, man, you had a short conversation of earlier is one of the dates which I feel should be a federal holiday day. And it is a holiday, but it also should have a, another meaning. And that's the first of January. The first of January, most people don't understand that's emancipation day. That's the day that the slaves was free. That is a true independence day for this country because in 1863 is when the slaves were free and everyone, and I, I have no problem with July the 4th. Don't get me wrong. 1776, I'm a bicentennial baby myself. But Truly in 1863, were we all considered to be free in this country? And not until then. But that day's not celebrated that it's celebrated in the African American community. It's celebrated in African American churches. It used to show watch night services. And a lot of times, you know, kind of forgot what watch night service is. But really quickly, when Abraham Lincoln said he was going to free the slaves in 1862 during the summer, he said, well, that's going to take place on the first of January, which was kind of a like for real simply because you got to think December 31st was Heartbreak Day. That was the day that slaves got sold. Excuse me, December 31st was Heartbreak Eve, the day before slaves got sold, which was on Heartbreak Day, January 1st. And so that was the most dreaded day in the slave culture because the 31st might be the last day to see your mother, your cousin, your brother, any loved one or person special to you. And you absolutely have no control over it. Multiple stories are how Sons and daughters got sold, and mothers were crying and begging on the floor, the feet of the master, begging them not to sell their whole family off. And they just got kicked off to the side. But on December 31st, 1862, slaves stayed up and they just watched. They watched. And that's where the term watch night service comes from in the black church. Most White churches, for my understanding, and the white I hate to keep using the terminology of the separational ethics, but in Georgia it's kind of is what it is. But in more in the white culture, the Christian culture, they don't have a white night service, most of them, simply because they don't have that same dichotomy. The white Christians will look and say, Well, why are you celebrating such a secular day? It ain't got nothing to do with birth, death, resurrection, none of that Jesus. But with the black community, it was a day of faith. It's a modern faith story because it's three parts of a slave born a slave lived a slave died a slave so in that point if you were a slave you were born and you were living as one, and you was praying for for this freedom you were praying and had faith that it would come and so the slaves stayed up and just watched what 12 o'clock ever get here if you read the stories from the newspaper of the time they say you could hear when the clock stroke 12 you could hear slave's praising God and dancing and worshiping all on dirt roads and shacks and barns and makeshift churches all throughout. Free slaves were doing the same. I always say if I have a time shuttle and I want to see one church service, I would want to go back and see that one. That had to be some church service to go to. I can only imagine. Yes. So the slaves came back year after year and honored that day with a church service, and it became known as the watch Night Service. But it's also known as Freedom's Day or Emancipation Day. That's a wonderful story. It's a wonderful true story of our country about how we got better as a country, how we grew as a country, how we came better as a country, how we had faith as a country. Unfortunately, it's not shared, and there's some on the other side of the political fence don't want those types of stories shared. And I think that's unfortunate because all of our kids will benefit from knowing how our country can become better. And those face stories should continue.
0: Well, I completely agree with you. And certainly I grew up with a whitewashed, bleached history in school, and I had to learn the truth. <laughs> I had to learn actual history on my own, and I'm still learning. So it's just so vital that we change that here in our country. And I just have a couple more questions for you. First, how do you feel about calling Stacey Abrams Madam Governor? <laughs> because I can't wait to call her that.
1: Stacey and me are friends, and she has worked in my community, and she has poured a lot into me as a community leader and as a uh, politician and such. And I, I'm always appreciative for. Her. She's a brutally honest person, and She's also an extremely caring person. She's one of the person that can always get me to do something that I didn't want to do. But after you have a conversation with her, you're like, okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to do it now. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, that sounds good. Our motto is we're going to do
1: whatever she wants us to do. I think to be the first African-American lady in our country to serve as governor. Mm -hmm. We are literally, if you think about it, on the precipice of history. Yes, we are. And we have so many people on the other side of the fence that is doing their best to stand in the way of that day, not for no more other than meanness and cowardice and in sexist ways too. Not until I ran the mayor's election, which was the first time I ran a female's campaign, did I become so aware of the issues that women have to go through. Especially Black women. Yeah. And being a guy, I didn't know. I never thought about that. And that's why I give some of my white friends who be like, what are you talking about when you're talking about discrimination or racism? They had never thought about it or had to deal with it. And as a gentleman, I never had to deal with some of the things that women had to deal with, but I kind of scratched the surface of it. And you all have to deal with a lot, not just... From guys, but even from other women, which means y'all got a couple more uphills to climb. And I think part of our job as men and as community leaders is making that hill not as steep because we need y'all judged on the same merits that we're judged on day in and day out. Because I have found out with my 16 years of marriage, I'm better every year with her than I was without her. Uh. So I can imagine what our state would be with Stacey. And I'm looking forward to seeing that she's running a strong campaign on Medicaid expansion, which will bring thousands upon thousands of jobs, uh, millions of dollars and opportunities to our state of Georgia. Since the Republicans are literally in the state of Georgia, sending back over 40 billion, would it be dollars of our tax dollars? I always ask my conservative friends. How does that fit in your conservative lexicon for your tax dollars to be sent back with no usage of them for other states to utilize them? I mean, that makes no sense. So Stacey is going to lay out a profound, accurate, simplistic, meaningful plan on where she see the state going. And I think once she's served her term in as governor, she I'm sure going to be discussed even more in the national lexicon of servitude sooner than later. And I look forward to that as well.
0: So do I. This is what we hope for. So you mentioned earlier something about the Republican plan for taking the presidency back. Can you elaborate on that?
1: Oh, yes, 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 yes. You know, and I look forward to the conversation being shared more and more. And of course, you know, we all kind of know that Majority, it might not be all, but majority of Republican Party still being controlled or led by the former president, and we all know that the former president have a desire to be president now, and we're wondering will he run or how will he run or what will he do in 2024. I think we're looking past the obvious. We're looking much past the obvious. And on the national show I was on earlier, I shared this with them, and I shared it on my own talk radio show here on this previous Sunday. They have a plan to this time next year. We could see President Trump. Have you thought about that, Sister Clark, this time next year, this month? This is what keeps me up at night. Yes. (laughs) Unfortunately, I have thought about it. You're better than the average bear. There is a legal way for that to occur. Most people look at the Democrats and losing the Congress in this upcoming November election. If we don't get Reverend, we're not reelected. They have the Senate. If we lose more than five seats, they have Congress. If you're going to be the majority leader in the United States House of Representatives, what do you think one of the major requirements would be? Most people would say a congressman. Right. That's not true. The party who is a majority can pick anyone they want. They can pick Miss Susan. They can pick um, Sister Clark. They can pick anyone that they want to be their majority leader. We have Nancy Pelosi, and usually they pick a fellow congressman, but they don't have to. So the plan that they have, and it's a really simplistic plan, if they take Congress back, that make uh former president Trump, the new House majority leader, which is one hundred percent applicable. And then if you're the majority leader, you are one, two, three steps from the White House in the big chair again. All you have to do is impeach the president, get rid of him, impeach the vice president, get rid of her, and now you're automatically the president. This time next year, he could be president again legally, simply by going through the motions. So I encourage, I push, and I preach to my fellow Democratic voters, let's not get caught up on small things. Now, let's not get caught up on stuff that in a wide scope don't mean as much of a difference because we did that in 2016, and you saw what happened nationally. Mm -hmm. If we do that this year and lose the Congress, this experiment that we have been practicing since 1776 called democracy could end this month it could be the beginning of the end soon as they're sworn in next year in 2023 the plan is there and with what we have been through as a country with the leadership under our former president and the extreme wing of the Republican Party. And I only utilize that term extreme wing because I don't think all Republicans are bad. I don't think Democrats, all Republicans got a headlock on the truth. But whenever you get to an extreme version of anything, you're not in the majority. And usually extreme ends of any party is not beneficial for us as a country as a whole. And the extreme wing of the Republican Party that's being headed by our former president would keep more than just you up at night as well. And it should. Yeah. So the desire for us to do the work, to be our own bulldogs in our own communities, my goal is to just encourage our listeners to this program and to others who will be listening later to do the work that's needed. Going to vote, Sister Clark, is not enough. Going to vote is not enough. You need to, who else did you take the vote with you? Who else did you get registered to vote? If people are graduating high school in your family, did you give them a voter registration certificate as a gift? Or did you not just give it to them, but make sure they filled it out and stuck it in the mail? It does not need a stamp. Did you make sure they was not just registered to vote, but absentee because they're going to be able to vote in this upcoming year. And most young people don't vote. The average age, Sister Clark, of a voter is 65 years old. Oh, my. Is the average age of a voter. You know why? It's when you get your check. So all of a sudden, you look at your money as being tied to your vote. So your mindset is different when your money is tied to who's in office, even though it always had been tied, Sister Clark, to who's in office. But now you can like physically, tangibly see it a little bit more. That's why the largest caucus is the Senior Citizens Caucus. You don't have young communities. You have Senior Citizens Community. The older you get, the less tickets you get. You can vote for the sheriff. It's not that you speak less. You know, everything is geared around the voting population, which is the older population. Most 20 and 30 and 40 year olds do not go to the polls, white, black, northern, or southern. But we are having to work on changing that. So the people who know better have to do better. You know, this is an election year. I don't complain about it. I just be about it. I get out there and do the work. I live up to that name. I'm very proud of that name. Simple because it means I'm making the difference that the people who came before me started, and I'm carrying it on out of not just respect for them, but as a ministry to my God. And it's important to do that. So again, my encouragement is do something more than just vote. Please go vote, but do something else. And if you don't understand the whole process or everything there, that's fine. Find somebody who do, find somebody you trust, and lean on them. But either way, do something in addition to just sitting there wishing, would have, could have. Do something more. And that's wonderful advice. Thank you. And if we lose this state, if North Georgia and South Georgia, Southeastern Georgia, Western Georgia, Central Georgia don't come through in large numbers for our congressional candidates, our statewide candidates. And our local candidates, the direction of this country would depend on our vote.
0: There's no doubt about that. We are certainly a battleground state. So, if someone wants to get in touch with you, learn more about you, maybe get involved with some of your many, many, many charitable activities, where would you send them? What's your website address?
1: My website is Powell for Georgia. That's Q U E N T I N, middle initial T. H-O-W-E-L-L four spelled out F O R Georgia spelled out dot com. That's Quentin T. Howell for Georgia. No spaces and no dots. I can also be reached at Howell's Medical Equipment and Supply 478-414-1120. We service the whole middle of Georgia area as well as parts of northern Florida and South Carolina. And in addition to that, my email is the same email I got when I was in college. Howell t at hotmail.com I was told by being Hotmail. I'm telling on myself how old I email is. <laughs> but, uh, it's my last name Howell H O W E L L T at Hotmail.com. And you've received about six calls, six or seven calls at least since we've been on. You have a popular show. I'm gonna blame it on your popularity, of your show, not me. <laughs> And you should know, the Blue Ridge area, I enjoy that area so much. I had a chance, to vacation up there two years ago, ride the Blue Ridge train, I think we went over to Tennessee. I had a ball, I enjoyed myself. People there were so nice and sweet to me, I just enjoyed it very much.
0: Well, we'd love to have you back. So please let us know next time and you'll be our special guest. We would love that.
1: It'll be my pleasure. Hey, I heard y'all have some sightings of the... Um, a Bigfoot of this. Oh yeah, we have lots of Bigfoot sightings here. I went to the museum up there. I went, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. And you have a working drive-in theater up there as well. Yeah, the Swan
0: Theater. Yes. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Fantastic. Well, finally, and I could talk to you all day, Quentin. We have to wrap it up. Finally. But tell us a fun fact about yourself, something not related to politics or any of your volunteer work and all that you do for the Democrats. Tell us a fun fact about you and just about you that our listeners may be interested
1: in learning about? Well, I'll give you two. When I first started dating my now wife, after I asked her to be my girlfriend and when I was driving my mama's car, her Carlo Z34, back from Savannah, Georgia, where we started uh, dating at. And I put in a cassette tape of uh, 2300 Jackson Street. And the one song on the B-side of that tape was Art to the Matins." And we were listening to the song. And me and this young lady just started dating like an hour ago. And I looked at her. I said, I want you to know In this relationship, there might be a lot of madness, but there's going to be an art to it. There's going to be an art to it. And she looked at me kind of weird. I said, you have to understand, I'm not one handful, I'm two, but I'm two good ones. I'm two good ones. And (laughs) I see her now. She's smart when I tell that story. But I also told her three things which I absolutely love. And that's pro wrestling, God, and Michael Jackson. Not necessarily in their order. (laughs) not necessarily in order. And I told her I said, you know, you, you ain't got to love and be a fanatic about pro wrestling. or Michael Jackson is a guy as much as, much as me, but, you know, you got to be able to deal with it. My mom always went to the wrestling matches with my dad, and I want somebody's going to go with me. And so uh, those are three things that have kind of shaped me and affected me because watching the wrestling on Monday nights now, it used to be on Saturday nights, is a large stress reliever. And being a uh, follower of a lot of the teachings of Michael Jackson kind of Direct my path, but so a lot of people look at Michael Jackson just being a singer and a king of music and one of the best artists to ever, 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 ever live. But it's much more than that. Michael Jackson preached humanity. He preached uh, working and, and dealing with others. He also preached individuality. So as a young lad in school, I didn't follow the crowd. And a lot of time as a guy, the crowd is not always doing the best thing. Well, Michael Jackson taught you to be an individual. Don't follow the crowd. And if you, you ever noticed with him, he always dressed a little differently, did stuff a little differently. And so that was one of the things I did because I learned that from Michael Jackson. And another thing he always taught was to be a leader. Don't be a follower. Why was you going to follow anybody else? And Michael separated himself and was that leader and everything he did. Every contract was bigger than the last. Every song or every album was bigger than the last, bigger than everyone ever made. So it's okay to be alone. It's okay to be by yourself but lead the area you're in. And the humanity aspect, and I told you the story this before, when I was in second grade reading my first autobiography, and it was the autobiography of Michael Jackson, I asked my dad, because I got stuck on part of it, and they kept calling him a human. And it didn't make much sense to me. Why they keep calling him a human? and I took it into the living room and I guess he was in there watching soap operas because he was arrested. He worked uh, the night shift and he read it and laughed. He looked at me and said, that's not human. It's humanitarian. And he took the time to explain to me what a humanitarian does and why Michael Jackson was considered one and all the work she was doing and giving when the little commercials would come on TV about kids in Africa and other areas and helping how being a humanitarian could affect not just them, but also locally. So I have patterned my life to be that humanitarian. A lot of people learn that from a lesson from Jesus and other entities. I learned it from my cadet. I'm glad God put that person in in my path to be able to learn it from and to utilize and hopefully and pray that uh, we're blessing other people in their communities that information.
0: Well, thank you for that. He was certainly unique. Well, thanks, Quentin T., for joining us today and sharing more about your critical work to support Democratic Party policy and maintain our democracy. I'm Meryl Clark, and on behalf of our team, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to the North Georgia Blue podcast. To learn more about us and the work we're doing, visit us online at FanninCountyGeorgiaDemocrats.com, all spelled out. Share the North Georgia Blue podcast with your friends and family and be sure to subscribe and follow if you enjoy our podcast consider becoming a founding patron and friend of the show at north georgia blue podcast.com slash patron so we can continue getting into more good trouble